from KGW News, this is Straight Talk with Laurel Porter. Hello and welcome to Straight Talk. Normally with Laurel Porter, she has the week off. I'm Maggie Vespa. The topic this week, addiction in America and the impact the COVID-19 pandemic has had on those struggling. The CDC, in fact, reports a record number of overdose-related deaths during the pandemic, and several studies show binge drinking increased during that same time. Then, at the same time, a lot of treatment centers closed or they limited in-person visits. Plus, just the isolation that we all experienced and many are still experiencing during the pandemic has for a lot of people been a serious obstacle to recovery. And now as more people get vaccinated and states reopen, that may pose a different set of challenges. So here to tell us more about all of this are our esteemed guests. Dr. Eowyn Riki, uh, she is the outpatient medical director at the DePaul Treatment Centers. And then we also have Angela Tusher on the right. She's the patient care manager at DePaul, and she's also been in recovery herself for nearly 10 years. So we'll hear Angela's story of recovery in a moment. But first, thank you so much for being here for this important conversation. And doctor, I want to start with you. I just kind of went through some bullet points and some headlines, but how would you describe how the pandemic has affected people struggling with addiction and just why it may seem obvious, but why this time has been triggering for a lot of people? The way I think about it is people have a lot of different ways in which we cope with stress. And the COVID pandemic has put an unimaginable amount of stress on all of us. And some of us have coping strategies like going for a run or talking to friends and family. And those are coping strategies that we could continue to do without COVID and then COVID interrupted that. So we had our coping strategies were interrupted. We had this enormous amount of new stress. And so we looked for new coping strategies. And sometimes those ended up being alcohol and other drugs. And as a result, we, as you mentioned in the intro, we have legions, more people who are now using alcohol and other drugs in a way that they're not happy with or in a way that doesn't feel comfortable to them. Gotcha. Angela, can I pose the same question to you? Just your experience as to why this time was so tough and maybe for you or maybe for those you work with. Yeah, I mean, the pandemic was so challenging in many ways. And for those of us in recovery that were so dependent on in-person um, support with meetings and groups and in-person meetings with counselors, it became really difficult and that isolation factor really came in. And also part of being in recovery is this stability is a really important factor. And with everything that happened during the pandemic, we were constantly shifting. So there was nothing really to grasp onto um, in those times when everything kind of felt like shifting sand and it's really important for us to have that stability for those of us in recovery. Shifting sand is a really good way to put it. Angela, I want to reiterate, you're the you're now the patient care manager at DePaul Treatment Centers, um, but we alluded to this earlier. You had a, a tough road getting there. So by all means, tell us what you're comfortable with, but, but what can you tell us about your recovery story? Absolutely. Um, I think that I have a story that really mirrors a lot of people's story. I. Um, had some traumatic events when I was younger and just kind of, you know, kind of racked that up to that happened in unfortunate circumstances and I was young and you just kind of like push those things down. And unfortunately, when we continue to ignore certain things that happen to us in our life, they, they rear their ugly heads later on. Um, my drinking was social. 
to begin with until it wasn't. And what I found with drinking and, and substance use in general for me was that it worked and it alleviated my anxiety and my stress and and it took away those those traumatic events that had happened in my life. And so it was one of those things where it started out as something that was probably normal and ended up with a suicide attempt, um, a psychiatric stay, and eventually treatment in Portland. So it doesn't take much to get us there. Well, we appreciate you sharing and congratulations on all the work that you've done to get yourself into the position that you're in now, as we said, nearly a decade in recovery, and that's incredible. Um, to that point about how it started and where it went, Dr. Ricky, I want to ask you, you know, we were talking in the newsroom before taping this, and, and there was you know, some joking on social media. A lot of people kind of joked during the pandemic that like wine was helping them get through. They were drinking more at home. Who cares? We're all stuck at home. I think a lot of people maybe then or are now wondering, then wondered or now wondering, how do you know when it's crossed into a problem? When should you be concerned? It's a great question. And I think I've seen those memes too. And, and a lot of us have felt that way. Like, how are we going to get through? What, what, what are the crutches that are going to help us make it? Um, and I think ultimately it's really about two pieces. It's about control and it's about impact. And so control is related to your relationship with a substance. So do you have control over using it? Can you decide, today I'm going to drink only one, or today I'm not going to drink at all? Can you decide, I'm going to leave early tonight. I'm going to go out. Um, this is now in current COVID times. I'm going to go out. I'm going to leave early. I'm only going to have a single drink. And then the next day, do you wake up and realize, oh, I had more than I expected. I stayed out later. I planned not to drink at all, and I did. So it's really, it's partly about control. And then it's also about impact. So is the substance having a negative impact on your life? For example, um, maybe someone who has had more alcohol the night before and then is hungover and is not able to meet the responsibilities or the expectations they set for that day. Maybe on a Sunday you won't spend time with family or won't get things done as you had planned. So when either control or impact is negative, um, then that's a time to wonder, hmm, you know, is this something that I want to change? Is this something that I would like want to address? Gotcha. Something else we were talking about that I think a lot of people noticed, and well, studies show, I should say first, more and more women are struggling with substance abuse. And there was a lot of talk about, especially women and moms, how much they were handling during the pandemic. So, doctor, can I ask you, why is it in your mind that more women are indeed um, struggling these days? I think a lot, we all experienced extraordinary stress with COVID. I want to acknowledge that. I think people who are the traditional caretakers in our families and in our homes and in our communities ended up with even more stress because all of a sudden the invisible work that they do, whether it's taking care of the home, kids, old elders, um, managing other pieces of life, all of a sudden that became so much more important as COVID brought us all to our homes if we had them and where we were living. And so those caretakers, and many of them are female identified, some of them are not, um, had these enormously increased responsibility and then we took all their coping strategies away. Uh, and so I believe if, you, if we were able to look at the caretaker, how many caretakers are drinking more, we'd find that the, the numbers are even higher than the ones that, uh, when we measure how many women are drinking more. Gotcha. The three of us were talking a little bit before we got started here today about the stigma that is attached to substance abuse. Um, so Angela, let me bring it back over to you. 
I mean, how would you describe that stigma and, and when you were really um, in the peak of your addiction, what, what were you worried about? Like, what, what was the concern there? I think that with stigma, the perception is is that all of us, um, we're not accomplishing anything or we've, we've no longer been able to maintain any part of our life. And so we're treated as though, I, I, like a lot of the experience I had was, well, just stop. If you're aware there's a problem and if you started to lose things and suffer consequences of behavior, well, then you just need to stop. And there's that misunderstanding of where that point that you reach where it's no longer a decision of wanting to be a certain way or making a certain choice and the fact that your body has just become physically addicted. And so I think within the medical field, within my family, within my friends, um, it kind of happened across the board with me where there was just a lack of understanding that there comes a point where no matter how hard you try, that choice is no longer within your grasp to stop. Were there ever things that family or friends said to you, and I know one of them is just stop, but mm -hmm. that were well-meaning that maybe they didn't realize the, the damaging effect that, that, that those comments were having? Yeah, I, I mean, from a friend, I would say, you're so much better than this. Um, what are you doing? You're destroying your kid's life. And all of those things may have in, in some form felt true to them, but in the moment, when you're struggling and you're in that position, that's just not, it's not helpful when you're hearing those things. It's already repeating the negative messaging that you're already giving to yourself. So stigma, stigma and perceiving those things, it's probably one of the most detrimental things I can think of from being someone in recovery. Sure. A friend of mine loves the book, This Not That, Eat This Not That. So let's replace it with Say This Not That. What would you recommend people say to someone who's in the throes? Um, who, you know, they're seeing that this person needs help. What are good things to say to somebody in that moment? What I would say is, what can I do? What can I do to help you? What do you need right now? Um, oftentimes, I don't think that we ask the person what they need. We're trying to direct the narrative. We're trying to tell them what they should be doing instead of asking in that moment how can I help you? What can I do to make this easier for you? It's just really asking the question and being invested in what that answer is, whether you kind of like it or not at that moment in time. Yeah. Uh, doctor, let me bring it back over to you. I mean, just first going back to kind of that introductory question about the stigma, how vital is it in your mind that we sort of address that head on and do the work to reduce that stigma of substance abuse? Um, it's absolutely essential. Uh, stigma kills people. Stigma, judgment, people die because of stigma and judgment. Uh, along the lines of what Angela just referred to, people, the way people talked with her. There's been medical research that shows the words that people use in the emergency room impact the way they treat substance users and the services they offer them. So if they call someone an addict, they're less likely to treat them kindly and they're less likely to offer them more substance use services as opposed to a substance user. So there's, there's hard data that shows that stigma literally impacts the services people have access to. And we also know, as Angela said, that when people speak negatively about another person, when there's judgment, that person is not going to want to come forward. They're not going to feel comfortable. They're not going to be willing to have the incredible vulnerability you need to talk about something as personal and as sh shaming as substance use. So... If we can come to people with an open heart and say, I'm worried about your use. I see these things happening and, I, and, and I'm worried about the impact it's having on you. Or even better, as Angela said, 
what do you need? Where do you want to be? Where is it that you want to go? And how can we work together to get there? Gotcha. We set off the top. I want to remind people, um, both of our guests are from DePaul Treatment Centers. So I want to share a little bit more about DePaul. It's actually, for those who don't know, one of Oregon's oldest and largest residential outpatient chemical dependency treatment centers for adults and for youth. It was founded by St. Vincent de Paul in 1974. It became an independent nonprofit in 77. 2,000 men, women, and kids are treated each year, I should say youth, in three treatment facilities in the Portland metro area. The DePaul Adult Center in downtown Portland, uh, DePaul Youth and Family Center in Northeast Portland, and DePaul's Hillsborough Outpatient Center. So those are the three. Dr. Ricky, in your mind, what, what's special and what works about DePaul Treatment Center? Oh, first of all, that we practice evidence-based care. Um, we are trauma-informed, which means we really address people's underlying uh, concerns and issues that may be driving some of their use um, and try to interact with them kindly and lovingly. I think one of the really special unique things about DePaul is we can work with people from what we call detox or withdrawal management. So when they're working to get off of the substance safely, all the way through perhaps residential treatment to outpatient. And there is not really another place in the state of Oregon where you have the opportunity to be in relationship with many of the same people through so many different steps of your recovery and have that same team of people supporting you and in that comfortable place where you may feel safe and feel like you can really work on the many issues that may be underlying your substance use. Okay, I really appreciate it. Well, we're going to talk more with both of you after the break. Before we do head to break, by the way, if you know someone who needs help or if you have questions or you just want more information about this topic, first of all, you're by far not alone, but you can also call DePaul Treatment Centers at this number on your uh, screen, 503-535-1151. Again, 535-1151. You can also visit DePaul Treatment Centers. Org. So coming up next on Straight Talk, we've talked about how the pandemic has affected people struggling with addiction. But now that we're coming out of the pandemic, there are new challenges. We'll talk about that after the break. We're back in two minutes. And welcome back to Straight Talk. I'm Maggie Vespa in for Laurel Porter. And we're talking this week about the pandemic's impact on people struggling with substance abuse. And we want to now reintroduce our guest, Dr. Eowyn Reiki. She's the outpatient medical director at DePaul Treatment Centers and Angela Tusher. Angela is a staffer at DePaul Treatment Centers and she's also in recovery herself. So thank you both again for being here. And Angela, I want to start this segment with you because now that we're coming out of the pandemic, this might be counterintuitive to some, but there are new stressors for people who are struggling with addiction. So I'm curious, have you felt any new stressors and, and what have those you've been working with? What stressors have they noticed? The biggest stressor for me, I would have to say, is actually being having more people in the office, having more people that we're coming in contact with. We got used to this norm and and you shift and you learn how to operate and you use skills based on what you're going through at, at the time. And then all of a sudden it shifts again. So there's been a lot of stress for me and I think for a lot of those of us in recovery that we've gone to this telehealth model of, of like recovery systems and meetings and now kind of being back in person, it just adds a whole new level of contact as well as restaurants and bars and all of the other things that are opening up again that kind of were taken off the table for those of us in recovery. So that temptation and those triggers weren't there at that time. 
And now we're kind of having to go back and relook at all of those different venues opening up to us. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Riki, kind of the same question to you. And we'll note, and I know you had talked about this with our team ahead of time, positive change can mm -hmm. still be really hard for people struggling with addiction. So how would you describe why this time um, could be volatile for some? Well, as Angela alluded to, like the constant change of COVID, like we, we're getting waves of new information and we're in yet another wave of new information. Um, and I know when I go outside and I see someone with a mask or without a mask, I see someone without a mask, I still have a visceral reaction. I still have this fear that comes into my brain and I have to consciously deprogram it. Say, no, it's okay. It's okay. And so we're having to do that over and over and over again is change the way we're thinking about our circumstances. Walking into an office where there are multiple people when before we had to be kind of solo or distanced. So I think that kind of stress is happening and we often don't recognize it. We don't even realize until we go home and we're so exhausted and maybe we reach for a drink. Um, on the positive side, I'm hopeful that when we do reach for a drink or we do reach for something as a coping strategy, because we've had what I think of as this collective trauma, the collective trauma of COVID and all of the things that it brought, we may be able to talk to each other more. Um, we may be able to, to have a different level of discourse about the things that we do. For example, talking to a friend and saying, oh my gosh, it has been so stressful at work. Everyone's back on site. It's, there's, so, there's so much noise in the office. I went home today and I had two glasses of wine. You might say that to a friend. And your friend has had a similar difficult experience. And so you can share that. And I, I really do hope that we have a new level of communication and a new opportunity for vulnerability as a result of sharing what is this collective trauma. When you say, oh my gosh, then the uh, office has been so noisy. I'm wondering if you've been in our newsroom or if you're just psychic, because that really applies to KGW. Um, Angela, uh, Dr. Riki mentioned some, some things that might help, like talking to a friend. Anything that has helped you kind of in this new phase, um, coping-wise, that you could recommend to others? Really, work has been really helpful for me because of so many of us that actually work for DePaul identify as in recovery. So we have kind of our own little family and built-in system here. So the supportive work environment has been really helpful. And I think establishing boundaries within myself and encouraging that in others of only do what you're capable of doing. Only take on what you feel like you're capable of taking on. And my hope is that every workplace and, and school and the different venues that we're going to, that people have the same latitude to be able to build those self-boundaries and of what they're ready to take on and what they're not. I'm wondering what advice um, both of you, and Dr. I'll start with you, we'll pivot back to you. Um, you have for others who, you know, a lot of us are encountering friends or coworkers who we haven't seen for a very long time. And if you worry that you're seeing signs in your friend or in your coworker that maybe they were struggling during the pandemic and now you're back in person with them and you're seeing, oh, I wonder if they need help. How do you start that conversation with someone? How do you respectfully ask um, if, if maybe they're struggling with some of these issues? I think I always believe in leading with your heart and leading, leading with them that you care about that person. Like often it might be, um, you can be negative about it. You can like, oh, I heard about what happened last night. Or it could be like, um, I heard you got a DUII or something negative. We can lead with something negative. But instead, if we were to say, how are you feeling today? I'm worried about you. I care about you. Um, 
it sounds to me like things are going different than what you wanted. Um, I think that leading with your heart and with your caring for someone is really important. And I want to acknowledge it's hard, especially if it's someone who's close to you and they're doing things that are harmful to themselves or to you or to your community. Um, but leading with caring is going to allow you to have those open conversations that you need in order for people to acknowledge that they're doing something that they may feel really ashamed of, um, that they're just, they just they want to hide. And in some ways, remember, it might be scary for people to realize you've noticed. Maybe they're hoping nobody's noticing. And so to come kindly and gently and say, I've noticed this. I care about you. I'm going to be persistent. I'm going to be here for you. Um, and I'd like to work on this with you together. Those are the things that I would suggest. Gotcha. I want to reiterate again, both of our guests are from DePaul Treatment Centers. It is undergoing a bit of a transformation. It'll soon be rebranded as Fora Health and moving to a brand new facility. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, Dr. Riki, what can you tell us about the changes headed your way? I feel like the changes are making the, the philosophy of Fora and DePaul into a physical space. The philosophy of caring for people, the philosophy of recognizing the richness and the many ways that people can access their own well-being, whether that's through art. You saw a picture of an art studio through exercise. There was a picture of a, an exercise room or the beautiful outdoor spaces that we're going to have at the new building. I think all of those demonstrate our commitment to supporting the full wide range of coping strategies and and wellness strategies that our clients can have while we help them towards recovery. Gotcha. And speaking of changes, during the pandemic, you met virtually with patients. So, doctor, was there was there an upside to that? Do you think that'll keep going? Like, what's your take on that shift? Um, it has been a huge upside. It's been a challenge. It was an speaking of change. It was a whirlwind of change. Um, and I think people have much better access to care. Um, they can connect. Uh, just today, I was connecting a patient and another provider via phone when that might not have been otherwise possible. So people have much better access to care. Um, they can, they don't have to have transportation. Um, they don't have to find childcare. There are lots of ways which it's a, in which telemedicine or, or visits via video or telephone really supporting people being engaged in care. And one of the, the surprising results is it's a different kind of a relationship when you're talking with someone, especially by phone. Um, I've had com conversations with clients in which I feel as if they've been much more vulnerable and open with me because it's a phone call. And we end up with these very personal, lovely conversations that I don't know would have happened if we were face to face in the office. Oh, that's good to know that there is an upside to all of this. Uh, before we close, once again, I want to make sure that we get this on there. Um, there is help available. If you or someone you know needs that help, if you have any questions, you want more information, you can call DePaul Treatment Centers, 503-535-1151, or visit www.depaultreatmentcenters.org. Um, I want to ask both of you, Angela, I'll start with you. Any final thoughts to someone out there who might be sitting on their couch right now watching this show and they're wondering, yeah, I mean, I'm a little bit worried about some of the habits maybe that have emerged or some of the ways I've lived during COVID. What would you say to them? I would say if you're thinking that, then you probably are recognizing that there probably is some sort of an issue. And I also would encourage people to realize that there's so many avenues to treatment that treatment sometimes itself gets stigmatized as you have to go to residential, you have to 
take this time out of your life. We have so many different options, outpatient, medication-assisted treatment. There are so many different avenues to get into recovery that it just doesn't need to be intimidating anymore. And I think for a long time, it was very intimidating trying to get that treatment. And nowadays, we have so many different ways to be able to access care that I would encourage people just to take that first step to talk to a trusted friend or a family member and then call to get some help if needed. All right. And once again, we'll have all the information on the ways to get that help at KGW.com. Dr. Riki, Angela, thank you both so much for joining us. This was a hugely important conversation and we really appreciate your time. All right, and thank you so much at home for watching and for listening. Remember, you can get Straight Talk as a podcast. Search for KGW Straight Talk. And next week, speaking of, we look ahead to the Summer Olympics in Tokyo with Olympics expert, Pacific University professor Jules Boykoff. We'll see you next week for Straight Talk.